Newsweek presents The Debate with Andrew Tolman. Everything 100% of the time, 24 hours a day is a negotiation. Rakeem Brooks. This is a common good that we are talking about. Ellis Hennigan. None of us have fallen for the notion that this is conservative. And Jeff Charles. That distracts us from actually rolling up our sleeves. The Debate starts now. So in case you hadn't heard, the Supreme Court recently engaged in one of its, I don't know, very controversial. There weren't that many controversial rulings, frankly, this year, but the ones that were controversial were very controversial and ideologically splitting. Uh, Creative LLC versus um, uh, Alanis, uh, six to three decision, conservatives plus Roberts versus liberals, a very standard ideological split. The basic question was whether a website creator has the right in Colorado, where they have the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, whether that person has the right to only make wedding websites for straight couples and not make a similar wedding website for gay couples. She wanted a pre-enforcement action against starting a business in this direction because she was concerned that she would make a straight website for a wedding and then a gay couple would come and ask her and she would say no, and then she'd be running afoul of Kata and then she'd wind up having to pay fines. And she wanted to know in advance whether she was going to be allowed to, because this question's never really been settled. Masterpiece cake uh, didn't really settle it. Although there's a pending case that might we'll see Uh, the court ruled six to three on what I think are extraordinarily narrow question of whether making a wedding website is an act of speech or whether it is an act of public accommodation. And it's really both. But the question in the hand was the six said it's an act of speech. Therefore, making a website that endorses gay marriage is against her religion. She's within her First Amendment rights to say no. Uh, the dissenters, Sonia Sotomayor, writing for the uh, dissent, said, no, this is a public accommodation. If you're going to make a product available to the public, you've got to make a product available to every member of the public, especially those members of marginalized, disenfranchised, affected status category, which is things like marital status, sexual orientation, race, gender, religious view, and so forth. On the other hand, you have this pervasive notion in America that if you open a bar and you put up a sign behind the bar that says we reserve the right to refuse service to everybody, that you can, and you can't. (laughs) I mean, not legally, you can't. But the question is, should you be able to? Should you be, as a business owner, should you have enough right in your property invested in your business to say, um, I don't want to serve this person? And in this particular case, it's I don't want to make a website endorsing or representing gay marriage because I don't believe in it. But, you know, I don't want to make a website for an interracial couple. I don't want to make a website for a, a bigamous or a polygamous couple. I don't want to make a website for um, if it were to ever become legal, somebody who is 50 and somebody who is 16. You know, I, what are the limits of when you can refuse service? The popular consciousness says you can refuse service all the time. The law says almost never. Where should we be, though? Now, Rakeem, I'm going to deliberately come to you last because I know you have all the legal perspective on this. Ellis. <laughs> Do you want a world in which businesses can turn away the uh, hotel owner can turn away the unmarried couple because they're not married? Or do you want a world in which, no, they have to let anybody stay in those rooms if they can pony up the money? Yeah, yeah, I'm in that side. Once you start charging money for stuff, uh, you got to take all comers. Um, You know, if you if you if you behave badly in the bar, they should be able to throw you out. But uh, if you trash the room, they cannot rent it to you tomorrow. 
But um, to, to, to me, listen, you got to draw a line somewhere. And it seems to me a pretty good line is once you start taking money for it, um, you got to you, you got to welcome all members of the public. That just that just seems sensible to me. Jeff, is uh, the majority right? The dissenters right? I mean, as a, if you ran a business, to what degree are you obligated to, as Ella said, accept all comers once you start accepting any on the basis of money? Yeah, so I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here. So here we go. Um, go fast, you know, go loud, do it. Yeah. No, and and even before I get to it, I mean, I mean, there are signs that say no shirt, no shoes, no service. I mean, should you be able to have a dress code in your business? I think most people would be okay with it. If you have a classy restaurant and you don't want somebody walking in with ripped jeans and a t-shirt, then you should be able to refuse service to that person. And that's kind of where, where I land. I, I don't believe that the government at least in most cases for them that I can think of, the government should not be able to use the threat of government uh, retaliation to force you to serve people who you don't want to. And honestly, like I'll even go there. I'm a, I'm a black man. So do, if a burger place said, we don't want to serve black people, my thing is, do I want to give them my money? I'd rather know that they're racist. I, I, I like my racism blatant. I like it in my face. Tell me that you're a racist so that I know what I'm dealing with. I would rather say, oh, you don't like me because I'm black. And one, I don't want to give you my money. Two, I'm going to tell everybody that you're a racist jerk. And, th- and things will, the chips will fall as they may. So to me, I'm not really a fan of the government forcing businesses to serve people. Now, there might be some exceptions, like it's like in the case of a hospital, if somebody comes in and they're dying, should you be able to refuse them service because of whatever? I might, I, maybe in the, those cases, I can have that conversation. Um, but in general, I, I'm not really a fan of it. Yeah, so I, I tend to lean heavily in that direction. I, I tend to think that even though I think under most circumstances, it's probably illegal under current law, you do have the right to refuse service. If you don't want to sell a beer to somebody because you don't like them, okay. If that's got, you know, if it's because they're Jewish, I think you're evil if that's your decision. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's your property rights. If you're doing it because they're, um, you know, they're a, an atheist and you have a Christian bar, whatever that would look like, um, you know, okay, you're, you're dumb for not taking an opportunity to evangelize that person through the commerce interaction. But also that's, your property. I don't know why you have to just because you take some people's cash have to take everybody's cash on an equal basis, even though I well understand the history of, you know, marginalizing people um, of you know, discriminating against them, making it hard for them to find services. The whole public accommodations argument is a powerful one to me, which is why if I were running a business, I would want to take everybody's money if I could possibly get it. That's how you make money. But the idea that I have to be forced to take them by the government when I just don't want to associate commercially with those people, that's where I have a problem. All right, Rakeem, teach me everything I didn't uh, know. Rakeem, sure good another. luck on this one. That's some, that's some rugged views those two are expressing <laughs> there. Know, My goodness. I My well, goodness. Okay, I'm going to say there's so much to be said, but let, let's just draw the context of the court um, where it sits presently. So I ruled on this case the day after it ruled on um, affirmative action. And one of the things about affirmative action that's, I think, an interesting and debatable argument, I'd know where I stand on it, but it's at least worth public consideration is, you know, was there an expiration date on affirmative action? Where do we want to get at a certain point? And so I want to throw that into the mix here, which is Jeff's perspective on not wanting to go to a restaurant that discriminates against Black people today might make some sense. 
but he very well knows that there were plenty of times where our ancestors had to travel miles upon miles, hundreds of miles to find any place that would feed them or that would house them until they came to a boarding house that was run by black folks. If, if the town allowed for boarding houses to be run by black folks. So some of this is about recognizing that our history is such that it's not about any one individual proprietor saying that they're not going to provide services to you or your or um, or your like, but rather that uh, societies and states as a whole, whole groups of proprietors can decide not to serve someone effectively locking somebody out of a market. And so then we ask the question, do you have some right to have access to a hamburger somewhere in the state of Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, et cetera? Um, so I, I think that's where, for me, the abstraction just doesn't work because you have to understand that we have real world experiences with these, with these practices as a whole. The second point that I'd make, and I don't think that we're so distant from them that we no longer need these, these public accommodation laws, but the, if you did just want to do the philosophical piece, um, I tend to believe what Ellis believes, which is to the, okay, in the world where you have private property, which really meant. You own the land, you dug your own well, you got water out of that well, you had your own cattle who you slaughtered, right, raised and slaughtered and made your own beef. And somebody comes along and you sell it and you're just like, if you'd like, you know, a glass of water and a hamburger, I get to choose who I serve. Okay. To the extent those people still exist, I'm all right with them having an exception to public accommodation law. But for the rest of us who rely on public sewers and public water and public electricity and public utilities generally to power your businesses, if you take like the first principle ideas of this country, John Locke and the rest, and you say, would I consent to providing a utility if it meant that I was going to be discriminated against with the use of that uh, utility? Everyone would say no. (laughs) There would be no context in which we would sit down at that table and say, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand and supply everybody with electricity is lo- and know that these other folks are going to be able to discriminate against me, assuming it's just an up-down vote. And so uh, my view is like both on principle and based on history, this actually doesn't work very well or play itself out. Again, if you've got some soul, truly sole proprietor where like you've marched down this road 100 miles and that's the one house and in this one house, this person um, doesn't want to serve you. Now, I would also offer that now I'm getting too nerdy, but English common law provided you with all sorts of rights of access, even if there was private property. So let's just be clear about that. It did. That, that came up in the opinion. It definitely yeah, did. I don't know why we I don't know how we reach this. Like, it's not just um radical libertarianism, but it's actually like an alien notion to any experience that we've had, that people have a fundamental right to exclude people from what are public accommodations, at least in the sense that they aren't um, solely private. They're not your castle or your home. And it it also, Rakim, goes against, you know, the last hundred years of of progress in this country. If you don't mind, I mean, I got to I got to probe uh, Jeff and Andrew on this one a little bit, because because I think I must be misunderstanding what you're saying. Uh, is, is your argument that that this you're, you're fine with this applying in any category, excluding people based on race or on religion or their political views or their religious faith or that that businesses ought to have complete freedom in terms of saying, I will serve these kinds of people and not those kinds of people Without exception, is that what you all are arguing? Because, boy, you know, that goes against pretty much everything the law has done in the last hundred years. Right. So I I think there's there's discomfort on both sides. 
right? I mean, it seems like the position that Jeff and I, if I don't mind speaking for Jeff, kind of hold is that, you know, I would have to allow the local racist, you know, to refuse to make a cake for a Jewish bar mitzvah. Okay. Because it's his company. It's his property. I, I hate anti-Semitism. I think racism or religiousism is evil. He shouldn't do it, but I'd have to allow that if, if my position is right. Um, but the alternative is being, I think what Ellis and Rakim are saying is you're in the uncomfortable position of having to force a Jewish cake maker, make a cake that celebrates Hitler's birthday because it's a public accommodation. And that seems really obnoxious to me. And so I would rather err on the side of tolerating evil in cases where proprietors want to discriminate against people rather than having the government try to force people and therefore wind up forcing people to have to perform evil according to their own viewpoints. That that's the distinction to me. And I would add to that, um, um, uh, Rakim, I'm glad that you brought up the historical aspect of it, because my argument wouldn't I think I don't think it would be all that great back under Jim Crow, because you're right. You couldn't just travel to another state because you couldn't find lodging that restricts your freedom of movement. So the argument could have been made back then. But I think the issue, too, here is what is the appropriate role for the government to play. I think that like, too many of us get caught up in this idea that if the government, or if you don't want the government to do something, then you don't want it done. I think society has come a long way in dealing with racism. It's not because the government did it at the end of, the, of a gun. Government played a role, sure, but I do not believe that it was all because of the government. I think it's because we made strides as a society. And I think in the vast majority of places in this country, if a business discriminated against somebody purely because they're black or Hispanic or Jewish or whatever, I think that in general, most people would shun that business. And we've already seen that happen. I mean, if a business even gets accused of being racist, there's calls for boycotts, there's calls for what have you. To me, when you make a law, that has with it the threat of government violence. So if Jack's Burgers doesn't want to serve a black person, then the government will shut him down. If he, does, if he doesn't shut down, they will send men with guns and badges to use violence on that person to remove them. Now, that might sound good because you don't, we don't like racists. But when that happens to somebody that you love that maybe didn't want to bake that cake for the Nazi or for somebody that you don't like, nobody's going to like that. So I think these things are better dealt with on a societal cultural level rather than pointing the gun of the government at people, especially in, in this day and age. And also to your point, Rakeem, um, I, I tend to agree with you as well about this, that um, there are times when the law may react differently to the problem. Right. Um, as Jeff says, uh, the problem of a racist business today, you don't see them because if they were, they'd be empty. Um, and so our culture has well and rightly accepted the notion that discriminating against people on the basis of their race is idiotic or evil or both. And so businesses that do so are going to get punished um, when it comes to even something like, you know, gay rights, you have a. Obviously, you have a bit of a discussion still ongoing in this country about, I mean, behavior that whether we like to say it or not, was illegal not that long ago. Right. I mean, Texas v. Lawrence wasn't that long ago. Um, And certainly what people believe about traditional morality has not gone away. Um, At the same time, I think if you engaged in actively open discrimination against gays today in your business, you would suffer for it. 
And so there's already that cultural cultural momentum to correct a problem. The government doesn't need to be doing it so much. Can, can I, let me make the case of the opposite direction for a second, if I do. And, and this is probably informed by my my growing up in Louisiana. So so, uh, Jeff, I, I do have a, a fairly strong appreciation for the importance sometimes of the role the government does play in these things, because mm-hmm. I I believe a lot of my parents, neighbors and, and people, even of my generation, but certainly of a couple of generations before me. Uh, would not have done any of the things we think of today as progress without the 1964 Civil Rights Act and, and a bunch of others that Rakim, I'm sure, could uh, could list a whole lot a whole lot better than I can. The reality of the country that we live in today is one of tremendous diversity, right? I mean, it's really different to live in Mississippi from to live in Manhattan or to or to live, uh, you know, from 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 one preference, one group, one religion, one region to another. It's a big, big country with a lot of different kinds of people. And and I think if we're going to going to continue on as a as a successful society that's knitted together in some kind of way, that's going to try and move beyond some of the divisions that have uh, have uh, so often paralyzed us recently. The watchword really needs to be. Great tolerance for people different from ourselves. Um, you know, it's become possible to spend all day long with people only like you or only like me. We never have to hear an opinion that we disagree with. But it makes us poorer when that happens. One of the great things about this debate show, right, is that we welcome a diversity of views and we try to treat them civilly. And, and even when we feel passionate about it, try to try to at least be a little bit open minded. And and boy, uh, saying go ahead and, and, and let your worst prejudices uh, direct your business decisions. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think that's pro- I don't think that's progress for our country. Is it? Am, am I being too romantic about that? By not allowing the business owner to make the cakes or the websites that they want to, you're being legally intolerant of them through the power of law, not just the power of depriving business opportunity or public access. You're coercing them out of their viewpoint. Right. I mean, that's well, telling them, telling them you got to serve if you're in business, you got to serve the public. I mean, that seems like a pretty broad principle that we might all be able to agree on. Yeah, or, or else we're going to use a government to force you out of your business well, at the end of a gun. I mean, this well, Jeff, that, that's that's an is also bad. I think that I think that you talk about that guy in Louisiana. I think if he's racist, I would rather use societal pressure. I'd rather use persuasion. That said to me, and that's why I said before, just because people don't want the government to do something doesn't mean that they don't want it to be done. But to me, if, there, if, if there's like some place in backwoods, Mississippi, that doesn't want to serve black people, then that's just more that's just more of a societal issue to deal with. Or I just won't go there. Like, I don't I don't think we live under the same environment as we did under Jim Crow. So I I think there are better ways to deal with these things rather than just saying we're going to force you by the gun of the government to do what we want. Yeah, I think the nuance I might try to offer to that perspective, Jeff, is um, it feels as though we I don't know. I'm having a kind of uh, this might throw to Andrew Burkean conservative movement like we can't move slowly and make slow decisions about what's necessary and unnecessary in one moment or the next. So I don't know, Andrew, that I buy your hypothetical. It took me back to I was um I was clerking in South Africa and. 
there was a case about a lesbian Methodist minister who had been expelled from her congregation. And she was being the congregation or the Methodist church was being defended by one of the chief barristers in South Africa. So the question was raised, you know, what if um, the person had been rejected on account of the fact that they were black or that they had married, um, engaged in an interracial marriage? And the, um, the barrister was very shrewd. And he said, race is different in this country, given our history. Um, and Justice Cameron, for whom I clerked, I remember seeing who's an openly gay man who I saw sort of cringe at the idea while I watched the rest of his colleagues sort of nod in agreement that race was different than LGBTQ status. I think folks forget that there are several battles not yet won in this country for different citizens of different kinds that are based on historical discrimination at one moment or another, so that I'm not willing to um, hold tight to the philosophical principle of freedom of conscience and freedom of choice in light of that history. Now, back to the point I was trying to make earlier, if someone wanted to make the case a la John Roberts in Shelby County or in of the affirmative action cases that the country has sufficiently been transformed across all indicia, so not just race, but gender and sexuality and so forth, that you don't require these laws. I think we should have that debate on an empirical basis. And I think you'd find, Jeff, unfortunately, there are plenty of people in the state of Mississippi who are black who are who would uh, regret the idea that they could not be served um, if, in fact, a white person did not want to serve them. So I think we're one of the challenges uh, we have right now is precisely where do sexual attraction, sexual behavior, sexual uh, identity and, you know, where do these things fall? Right. Are they just behaviors? Are they inborn characteristics? Are they things for which we can judge people or not? Um, And when I think about this particular case, um, I think about cases like, you know, a a Catholic, devout Catholic um, being required to provide wedding services for the third marriage of somebody. And I find that that would be offensive, you know, to the person who doesn't believe that divorce is allowed. Um, And so I, I, it's like, I want to protect those people. I want to protect the people that have a robust sense of traditional sexual morality from being forced in the public sphere to compromise or jettison those views. I certainly don't like protecting the racist. I certainly don't uh, like protecting the sexist. Um, But I do want to protect the people who think that relatively novel, historically sexual behaviors are still suspect or worse. You know, I kind of want to protect that viewpoint. And it feels like the law has almost no regard for protecting that viewpoint. Well, I was going to say, you, you you know quite well that these behaviors are not novel. They've existed since ancient times. <laughs> that they're culturally they're, accepted. Is yeah, they've been, well, no, but they were plenty, plenty culturally accepted in plenty of places that were not sort of part of the Western world in one way or another in Fair ancient enough. times. And so, yes, there's a current an actual contemporary morality that looks down upon various sexualized relations. It's relatively modern um, by comparison. But I guess the point I, I push back on, Andrew, is. Well, that that person, you just strip them of the right to issue marriage licenses as a matter of state authority. They can still marry who they want or not marry someone else as a member of the Catholic Church. But back to Ellis's and I point, they can't do it on behalf of the state. I mean, the other point I'd make is, and maybe this is a much more prominent example, is could you imagine if we allowed this, how many people would be discriminated against on the fact that English is not their first language? We all have been in places where we know folks are just you hear it said, speak English. Like, why won't people speak English? Like they can't read this. They can't do that. 
the number of folks who would just gradually be denied accommodations of one kind or another because folks don't want to have to translate things into multiple languages or accommodate folks, I think would be quite vast. And to Ellis's point, it would deprive us of the trend of the gradual progress we've made um, on a totally arbitrary basis that it doesn't rest in anything. Yeah. So I, I again, I, I guess I I want to protect the thing that I feel is being forced onto people who disagree right now. And I agree with your parade of horribles. I actually agree with a lot of the uh, public accommodation value uh, in things. And most of the discrimination that I would see around me against people with disabilities, against people on the basis of their uh, their gender or their skin color or their religious viewpoint or their ethnicity or even their language, they horrify me. This particular one doesn't horrify me that same way because I disagree with it. You know, I hold different views from what I think the majority of Americans seem to have accepted. And so that's the one where I feel like in telling the cake maker that they've got to do this or the wedding planner that they've got to do this, I feel like they're eventually going to come and tell me, hey, you got to stop saying that on the radio, brother. We're not going to allow that anymore because that's not acceptable. So it, it feels like I'm protecting that space and, you know, persuade me. Don't coerce me, I guess, is the way I think about it. If you would like to be a part of the debate, email us. The debate at Newsweek.com. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forwards to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.